edition of Fine Beats and Cheeses, the podcast where we love to eat and also pray, but also eat. I am Leslie <laughs> It's true, though, uh, living my truth. I am Leslie Grace Feeder. I am a lifestyle columnist for the Baltimore Banner and an author and a mom and a person who, as I said, enjoys the eating. And I'm not even going to say too much because you really can't. Uh, my co-host is who? I am Lynn Streeter Childress, your twin sister, and I am a <laughs> practitioner of theater for young audiences. I'm a playwright, I am a director, uh, I am an actor, and I have been eating an inordinate amount of nachos, which aren't a classy food, but it was Super Bowl, and we have uh, sour cream and cheese, and um, I also have a reflux, but that's okay. That's another thing. So, Today, we have a very, very special guest. Our guest today is Larissa Harrington. She is a coach, consultant, trainer, and speaker specializing in mindfulness, emotional intelligence, somatic trauma healing, conscious leadership, and burnout recovery and prevention. She is the owner-founder of Strong by Nature Wellness, a holistic well-being company offering coaching, healing, yoga, and strategy to support purpose-driven professionals and making a bigger impact in the world without burning out. Um, when we post this, you'll be able to look at the notes on this episode and you will see more of Larissa and who she is. And I will um, say out loud that I have worked with her and she's flipping amazing. And we're so excited to have her be a part of this conversation. Um, and, um, uh, Leslie, can you tell us what we're talking about? We are talking about a really amazing movie, um, was based on a book and a thing that as a journalist made me so jealous every time I thought of it. I was like, why didn't I think of this to have people pay me to do this? It's Eat, Pray, Love, um, starring Julia Roberts from 2010. Is that right? 2010? Yes. Yes. Um, about a woman based on a true story of a woman named Elizabeth Gilbert, who is a a writer who, in the midst of some personal and romantic uh, issues, uh, gets an idea. She doesn't know who she is anymore. And so she goes on this trip around the world um, that she believes will hopefully teach her to get a better hold of herself and who she is. And she finds some unexpected things about herself. And it is to uh, tie into the other part of, of our show today is about traveling solo, because obviously there are things that she does that she can only learn on a trip by herself. I mean, she obviously is impacted by other people, which is the beautiful thing about traveling is that the people that you meet and the things that you uh, see along the way, but I liked the movie when I saw it in 2010. I liked it so much better um, watching it today and yesterday. I think it's because I'm older and I think I appreciate a lot more of how hard that is to pull off, particularly now as a mother and, you know, someone who does, we can't just run off to do things um, because child protective services would be unhappy with me if I did that. It's true. It's true. Larissa, can you tell us when you first uh, found or encountered uh, Eat, Pray, Love, either the book or the movie? I I don't remember when exactly it was. It was soon after it came out because I remember um, a little backstory. I was in the military for 20 years. I had to deploy when my son was two years old. And I wow. was like overcome with guilt that as a mom, I was leaving my son. And how could he ever possibly like be the person he's meant to be if I'm not there to support him, right? These were the thoughts right. that were going through my head. 
And so that was in 2009. Yeah, is that right? 2009. And then um, that experience was like my first time, like really being away and really, even though I was deployed and in um, a, a location that was not going to Italy, uh, Bali and <laughs> India, um, it was my first experience with that. And then I came back, I read the book, I watched the movie. I don't remember when that movie actually came out, but I also then went to Turkey by myself mm-hmm. and I read the book in Turkish oh. in oh. 2012, I believe. Um, and that was the first book, like full book I read in Turkish. That's and crazy. it was just such a different like meaning for me. Like I was in Turkey away from my family, but there was no guilt associated with it. And it was for me really, yeah, go ahead, Leslie. I was just going to say, so many people I know who've been in the military say the same thing, that traveling the places that they went for work, they were working, the difference between either going back to those places independently for whatever reason to visit or just for, for pleasure or to go other places that those things are so different. What's the first difference that you learned when you, the first thing that seemed different to you when you traveled by yourself for yourself? For, for work when I did it that uh, the second longer time was there was no guilt associated with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay. My, my son at that time, um, how old was he when I left the second time? Six, maybe I forget the math. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Math's not my thing, but he was a little bit older, but I realized like I wanted him to be surrounded by love. And the fact that, you know, he was living with my grandparents, my husband was spending weekends with him. It was just a different, a different kind of love. And it didn't have to just come from me. And so my perspective changed around what it means to be a quote unquote, good mom. And that Mm. I didn't have to be the one that did everything. I could make sure that he was provided for to the best of my ability, but it didn't all have to be me. And so it was like this weight lifted off of me that everything is not my responsibility and that he's still taken care of. And it's okay that I'm traveling for work or traveling for pleasure. You know, later on when I started doing that, there was no guilt associated with it. And that was the biggest thing. Like I could do it and feel lighter Mm. and not worry. Yeah. I was going to say, so when you were in Turkey on business reading this book or you read it in Turkey. Did you read it in Turkey or you read it in Turkish? I read it in Turkey in Turkish. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, did you, did, how did it resonate with you? Did you read it and go, ah, this makes sense to me? Did you have any, did you feel a connection yeah. to the book being a woman on your own around, you know, across the world? Yeah. It was, so I had already read it and watched the movie, which is why that was like the first book. I'm like, okay, I already understand the gist because there's going to be some right. words in here that I don't know fully, right? So I understood the gist, but it was different reading it in Turkish because I don't know about you, but when I read a book that I love and I'm super into, sometimes I go through it really fast. Like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I'm just so into it. And it made me slow down. Like it made me Mm. really slow down reading it in Turkish and really it was just a deeper understanding of reading it while I was gone away from my family and reading it in this other language. And so it was a different experience for me. One of the things that I, and it was a snap judgment for me, but that when I originally 
uh, saw the movie was that I was like, here's another movie about a white American Western woman going to find uh, enlightenment and meaning in traditions that were not created for her. Um, so I was fascinated and excited to know that this was the subject that you were going to do as woman of color. I wanted to know if any of that resonated you with the person who was traveling, who traveled to places like Turkey, you were not Turkish, but you're mm-hmm. a person of color and you experience these things perhaps maybe differently than perhaps people who are purely of a European westernized view. Did any of that um, resonate with you or something that you thought about? Um, well, because when I was traveling, it was for work. And so it was mm-hmm. a different kind of thing for me um, to be thinking about. But let me think how to answer this question. When I looked at it, it was like just coming from privilege of, wow, how nice it would be to have enough money to take a year off to go and do these things. Like, that's amazing that she's able to do that. And I recognize that not everybody has that opportunity. And so I look at that, you know, outside of even the cultural aspects Mm -hmm. of her traveling to those places. But even for me to be able to deploy and know I have family that loves me and my whole family that could take care of my son, mm-hmm. right? My mom is literally here in my house right now doing my laundry because she's amazing. <laughs> and right, like I also recognize that privilege that not everyone has. And I really appreciate that and acknowledge that and recognize that not everyone has those same support systems in place, which makes it easier for me because I know that if I'm gone, my kids will still be taken care of. That's so great. And it's great to have, to to intentionally build a system where you know that your stuff is being take care of, taken care of, especially your kids in your home and your family are the most important stuff that we, that we have. Um, so with the movie, so I've read the, I think that I've read the book first and saw the movie. I can't, I was re-watching the movie again and I really think that I read the book first or I read them together. Together. Yeah. I read, I, like you did. I think I they were in quick succession that I read one and then yeah. saw the other. And for some reason in my brain, because um, we, Leslie and I both got married in 2010 and I know I saw this movie before I got married. So in my brain, this came out before 2010 but I didn't get married to October. So yes, it came out before <laughs> I got married. But I but I um have this in my brain pre-marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's why in my brain it seems like a and I can see the book on my bed at my old house mm-hmm. before I got married. I see the book on my bed. Um so when the movie starts, movie and book, um, and again, I have it, I planned to read the book before we did this again, but that didn't happen. Um, but so when the movie starts, at least, um, and this is something you can speak to a lot, Larissa, because you are an expert in burnout recovery. Um, Liz Gilbert could have used you uh, in the uh, the in the beginning of this movie, where she is um, comes to the realization that she uh, and her husband are growing apart, and that they need to split. Um, he is so sad. Um, he's a, he's such a sad, I mean, he is sad, but there's a part where they go to 
the lawyer's office mm-hmm. and um, she's there with her lawyer and he's decided to represent himself and he presents um, a song, which is like quitter, quitter, quitter. Uh, that's his evidence. <laughs> about her. And he's asking her to come back. And it's so funny because I felt bad. Well, you are supposed to be feel bad for him, but he was a journeyer. It's very interesting. He and she were both journeyers but in different ways, which was so interesting because he was constantly changing jobs and changing professions. And I wanted to do this and I'll do this and I'll do that. And didn't really seem to think a lot about doing all the changes and spending all the money. So they were kind of both in a, um, in a space of trying to find themselves. It just looked different. Well, and it's just that he play, played by the very beautiful Billy Crudup. I think you have to cast someone gorgeous in that role. He's so cute. you go, it's a little harder to go, ah, get behind me. Cause yeah, he's really hot. Um, I do think that, that that scene was so sad to me because he's a person who has talked himself into believing that he has the luxury of finding himself. And it's her job to figure out how that's going to work practically like, with the money for the house and the food and that kind of thing. So there's this part, and I think anyone who's ever been married has had this, maybe this discussion where she's saying these plans, like we're going to go on this trip. I've been offered this money to do this, to, to do this thing. And she's saying it, hoping that he will just put himself away long enough to agree to do it. And he says, I don't want to go to wherever. And she goes, and I don't want to be married anymore. It's like, well then, because that was the test. The test was, she was like, I'm extending you this thing, one more thing that's going to bring us together. We'll have to talk and deal with each other. And he's like, I'm going to do that like a petulant child. And she's like, then I can't be married anymore. And I'm trying to remember when I saw this, the year that I was married, if I thought that that was a bad ultimatum, I probably did. And now at this point, 13 years later, I think of that as absolutely what she had to say because their truths weren't aligning. But the truth was, if he had said, I don't want to go to fill in the blank this country, but I want to work, I want to talk about this, I want to see how we both can come to this, you know, to come to an agreement. And he just said, no, I'm going to do it. And she's like, "Mm -mm, I'm out. And him yelling at her (laughs) in the lawyer's office like she was a quitter like she hadn't been the one trying is something i think that women go through all of the time because we put in all the work and like you said you felt at first it was your responsibility and the guilt associated with not being there day and night with your child and we do everything and wouldn't it be wonderful if we all thought we had the moment to say this is my line you know this is the things that i need are things that we might both might need and if you don't need it then i can't need this Yeah. And as you're um, both talking about this one and Leslie and kind of tying it back into burnout, for me, what comes up is how often we don't speak up about things that are important. And like for burnout, that we're not acknowledging that we're exhausted, that we're irritable, that we're not sleeping well, all of these things until we get to that breaking point, until you get Mm -hmm. to burnout, until you get to that place of like, I don't want to be married anymore which is why it's so important that we're doing that self-discovery every day instead of feeling like we've 
pushed ourselves to the side for so long that we have to take a year off to discover who we are. Like, let's do that work on ourselves <laughs> every day. Have those conversations with our significant other or important people in our life on a regular basis. And so we're not waiting for years and years and years and pushing it all down. There is something that Lynn and her husband do, which I had never heard of, um, that is so great watching from outside of the marriage called a sabbatical, where each of them has a moment once a month, is it? Once a month. Once a month, where this is, there's usually often a weekend day where like, she's going to go to a cafe and write, or he's going to, you know, go take a hike or something. And they do this thing where there's no guilt associated with it. Neither of them, I don't think, clears what it is they're going to do, what they need, They what they need varies. Um, sometimes her sabbatical is doing something with me. Sometimes it's just doing more likely doing something by herself or for herself. And that that is incorporated into what the health of the marriage is, is so exciting to me because like you're saying, Larissa, it's, it acknowledges not just, I need to get away with you because I'm sick of you, but that, that quiet introspection of getting to know yourself, even for an afternoon before you can come back and handle other people is so important. Yeah. And I think doing it proactively and not, okay, well, this is the last straw or we have to figure something right. out now, but we haven't talked about any of the things that have been bothering us for years or decades. Well, you know, what's so funny is that when we first started dating, um, you know, we were seeing each other on like, I guess one weekday and then like, a, like the, a Saturday. So we'd see each other like Tuesday for like dinner and then we'd spend the day on Saturday and maybe like a month or so in, because maybe he waited to tell me this. There was a Saturday he was like, a weekday he was like, well, I'm not going to be able to see you this Saturday because it's my sabbatical. And I was like, yo, who, what now? And <laughs> um, he was like, well, I take a day once a month where I um, spend the day, you know, for me. And my husband is an introvert. Mm -hmm. um, he, for him, the word people is a verb. I have to people today. That's a verb mm -hmm. for my husband. And um, I remember at first feeling insulted you know kind of like you should be spending that with me and 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 it was funny because often when we, when we see people getting what they need we term that as selfish mm. instead of realizing maybe it's selfish that we're asking them not to do that or I didn't ask them not to but resenting that at all and you have mm. to stand back and think why is this bothering me? But what I realized that he was such a fully formed person is that he could admit what he needed. Um, and, and that that wasn't going to change for me. He was offering me all this other stuff. It's, <laughs> I had a I thought of uh, the Lion King when he's like, everything that the, the sun touches is, is yours, us, but don't go, is yours, but don't go into the hinterland. Right. So that's his own private hinterland where he has his, um, you know, his oh yeah where he does what he needs to do but and then maybe about we've probably been married for like a year or so where he was doing sabbaticals and our kid was little and I was like hey that would be nice kind of like an offhand thing to do and I almost I think was like well that would be great if I got that and he immediately went to google calendar and added sabbaticals for me on the calendar and I was like oh 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 I can I can do this, but why do you think, and it's what, when, when we first asked Larissa to be on the podcast and asked kind of what her guilty pleasure was, she thought about it for a while and she said, well, really it's, 
um, traveling without my family. And why do you think, I have ideas why, we think that that's a guilty pleasure that people feel guilty about or should feel guilty about Larissa. Yeah. And I, I will say, like, I don't feel guilty about it. And I think it's much more for women that the expectation mm-hmm. is that you stay home, you take care of the kids. And back in the day, women weren't necessarily working as much as we are now. So that was their only right. responsibility. And then now more women are working and still managing the house, right? And still the primary right. person to be, you know, the project manager for the house where it's like, well, I have to ask my husband or spouse or significant other to do this thing, but I'm still the one responsible for it. And that's how it is in many households, like anything regarding food or child rearing, it's all up to the woman. And so I think there's a lot of guilt that comes with that because there's this expectation, whether it's said or not, but there's that expectation that that's, that's your responsibility to be the one that takes care of all of those things. And and doing anything outside of that is considered to be an aberration. And yes, I admit that because for some people, they're kind of like, how could you be doing this when you should be doing that? So, yeah. so in the movie, she gets out of this relationship with her husband mm-hmm. and immediately gets into, um, they're still separated into this relationship with a very pretty actor uh, who played by James Franco, who was awful. Awful. Um, awful. He's really awful. And Sorry. Um, he's real pretty. And he's the one who introduces her to meditation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that community. Um, he's actually, she meets him because he's acting in a play that she wrote, yes. right? Based on mm-hmm. one of her works. And he puts in words. It's so interesting. He changes her words. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is sort of annoyed about it, but they start this relationship and it's charming and until it's not, sh- until it's not. And she immerses herself in him. Yeah. And there's a part when they're at dinner with her best friend, who's Viola Davis. And, um, what's his name? Leslie Mike. Um, what's the actor's name? I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I'll look it up. Go ahead. Who was also the fire chief on um, Abbott Elementary the other night? He was. Michael O'Malley. Michael O'Malley, O'Malley. Yes. yes. Okay. So where he says this sort of offhanded comment that he doesn't really think anything of. And he goes, you know what? When you were with your husband, you look like him. But now you look like this guy. Mm-hmm. And he didn't realize that that was sort of insulting, but, but it was, but it was basically that she sort of poured herself into whatever it was that the other person was doing. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. if you've seen a very bad movie that I love because I love her, Julie Roberts, Runaway Bride, her character does the same thing that when she looks at the weddings that she's run out of every wedding, she has taken on the persona of the man that she is marrying. If this guy's a hippie, she's a hippie. If this guy's a scholar, she's a scholar. If this guy's this, she's this. You know, the, she's marrying Christopher Maloney, um, who's a football uh, coach. And so she takes on that thing. So everything she does, because I think as in with Eat, Pray, Love, the character is afraid of who she might be without these things. And we know she would not have taken these trips were it not for work. 
you know, she has an opportunity to do this. Um, and it's scary to be by yourself. Um, I, Lynn and I were both 38, almost 39 when we got married. So we spent a significant amount of time of the time we traveled as single people traveling, like with groups of, of friends. Um, the way that I have traveled by myself is that I've gone someplace. So I spend making a, maybe a night by myself, but then I go visit someone like I went to in 2007, I flew into San Francisco for a night, explore San Francisco, drove up to Sacramento to see my godmother. We went to Napa. Then I drove down to Santa Cruz for a wedding um, and then drove up and spent another day in San Francisco. So just like with her, with Julia Roberts in this movie with Elizabeth Gilbert, there's some alone time, like driving a PCH by yourself. Man, that was a rush. That is a, if you want to meditate, water is my meditation, you know? even though the water that I had in West Palm beach down the street was completely different than the water, the industrial Baltimore water down the street from me that I can see from my window. But to me, it's all beautiful and spiritual and life-giving. And um, I wanted to ask you, Laura, so there's a scene, my favorite scene in the movie is in the very beginning. What the first place she goes is to Italy and she finds this American woman who's dating this man who's in this huge Italian family. And she explains to them what American Thanksgiving is. And she forget the guy that one of the her, the guys forgets to thaw the turkey, mm-hmm. but they love her so much, and they're so entranced by this idea of having this experience that they fall asleep waiting for the turkey to be cooked, and wake up in the morning and eat the turkey and eat the entire uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Except now it's the day after Thanksgiving and they're having it for breakfast, um, because that story is about how much they liked her and how much they wanted to be a part of her thing. How much in your travels have the people that you've met become a part of the story about what you've done? Hmm. Yeah. I think for me, it's different because I can't remember ever going somewhere for as long as she did and immersing myself in that way. Most of the time when I'm traveling for work, I enjoy my alone time and I don't think I really ever I'm trying to think if I've like met new people that I've gotten that close with in those experiences. Like I love the opportunity to go to the restaurant of my own choosing and sit there and just look around and enjoy my food or read a book by myself and not that I'm also making all of these new connections Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and having those relationships like she did where she just had beautiful relationships with humans on her journey um yeah i used to actually go volunteer at an ashram Mm -hmm. often and there i did right we were all together and it did feel more of like that family uh environment of connecting with people so those are beautiful. But when I travel most of the time for work, I'm alone. When I'm not, I will go hike by myself. I'll go walk the beach by myself. Like I, I need that alone time because I find that even if I am going out and hanging out with other people, there's still that, that compromise that comes from, well, what are we doing? What are we eating? Yes. Which is part of why I love being able to have that opportunity to go places by myself because I don't, I don't need to, it sounds right? A little bad to say, but I don't have to consider anyone else. And sometimes that's what I need. I just want to eat where I want to eat. If I want to go get <laughs> ice cream 
at, you know, before dinner, like I will just go do that. And how revolutionary, how revolutionary for women, particularly to be able to say, I don't have to worry about anyone else's needs. Lynn and I talk about, we both have young children. My son is nine, Lynn's is 10. Mm -hmm. And when we're by ourselves and go, we can eat at a place and not have to worry about whether there's a kid's menu. I don't really Mm -hmm. care. No nuggets. No nuggets. And guess what? Good. Good. Nobody cares. Nobody needs that. So Lynn, how do you, how would you answer that question? Well, well, one thing I was going to say is that it's so interesting you were talking about not having, you know, when you go on vacations with people and even when you do go on vacations with people, you have to have those conversations of this is how I vacation and this is how you vacation. And maybe vacation for you is we do all the touristy things and we have a schedule, but maybe vacation for me is we don't have to do all the same things. I can meet you for breakfast or dinner or whatever, but I don't feel like we have to be stuck up on each other the whole time because we can go do our different things. And what's so funny is that, you know, when I was, when I first read this book, um, cause you say maybe the people consider this thing cheesy. I think Leslie and I talk a lot about the show is that a lot of times people find earnestness cheesy because they can't, get away from it and it's uncomfortable. And so instead of trying to find the value in it, they just decide that it's not worthy at all and that it's cheesy and that it's, ugh, it's unserious. And I think sometimes when people say, well, I eat, pray, loved, or, you know, oh, it's like eat, pray, love. Sometimes it's very dismissive because it's this idea that it's a woman who was just going around the world, quote, trying to find herself, unquote, as if that was a bad thing, (laughs) even though, even though she was not responsible to anybody else, to any other human, she had her bills taken care of. She wasn't asking anybody to subsidize anything. You know, she had been staying with her friend in the movie with her friend and her husband and the friend's uh, baby. Uh, But then when she decided to do this, she all all of her obligations were gone and it's funny how we are gatekeepers of what other people should be mm. doing even when it doesn't affect us at all because maybe it brings up feelings in us that maybe huh, I guess we want to do those things too but it's easier to not um you know uh, disentangle that and try to figure out what that means. And it's better to just kind of be like, uh, blah, you shouldn't have done that. You're, you're flaky. Well, and we resent that. I know that when, uh, my husband and I were about to bring the six month old baby who is now my, my son home and an aunt of mine who had her own issue said to me, do you think you're even going to be good at this? And I was like, what? And she goes, well, you're already, you're always, her perception of my life is that I was always out and that we were always traveling and doing stuff. And we were, but not as much as she thought. But also I don't, that doesn't mean that you can't, my son goes everywhere with me. We, you know, get on a train and go places. We get on a plane and go places. And I think that that was both out of concern, but also was a little bit of, I will say jealousy. And also because the way that her life was, was that, you do this at this time and this at this time and this and this time. And if you enjoy that thing too much, maybe you're not going to be good at the other thing. Like maybe the reason that you have such a good time hanging out by yourself with your husband traveling and doing cruises and stuff is because you have really internalized that you're not good at the other thing. Um, and I'm glad, and she apologized much later. Um, 
uh, for for saying that. But I, I think that once again, it comes out of the generational expectations we have of ourselves as women and that we resent other people. We're jealous of other people without even understanding that's what it is, because why do they have something that I can't have? I was told I couldn't have it, you know, to be this, to be a good mother, to be a good wife, to be a good employee, that it had to look like this. And if it looks like that for you, I can't admit that maybe my thing isn't as free as I think it is. So you're wrong. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, to all this. And I also just want to share, like, going back a little bit of what you were just saying, Leslie and Lynn, what comes up for me around that is the communication piece and how Mm -hmm. much stuff people just keep inside instead of communicating that this is what I'm feeling or this is what I need when you're vacationing with friends or when you want to have a child, right? All of these people will oftentimes be thinking or feeling things and not addressing them. And um, even earlier, there was a statement about James Franco's character being awful. Mm -hmm. And for me, what comes up is she didn't have boundaries and communicate her needs to him. That's true. And so often we look at other people as they're awful or, you know, don't treat someone Mm -hmm. the way that we would like, but the person has never even stated what it is that they need. And so oftentimes when we are doing something, we don't, we don't know that it's negatively impacting the other person. If they don't ever speak up or say, Hey, I don't want you to change the words of my, my play or whatever it is in life. Right. And like we look at, and this does happen a lot for women where we just kind of push all that stuff down. We never acknowledge it. And we carry around that resentment because People aren't reading our minds to know what we're thinking or feeling. And I just want to like bring that point up because I think we need to be able to say what it is that we need. Again, like safety is a big piece of this, but a lot of times the safety is not the issue. It's our own stuff where we're afraid to speak up for what we need because we think that person won't like us or love us or want us. There's so I, so uh, I was going to say, so we should feel uh, I should have more grace for James Franco um, in in this movie. But also, but you're absolutely right. There's a part, and I wonder if you're going to say this too. I actually, I took notes and I wrote down this part. Uh, Were you going to say this, Leslie, when she's in the laundromat? Um, No, it was a different scene. uh, uh, So in the laundromat, and he folds her, um, her underwear, and she says to this lady there, oh, um, he folded, what was the word she used? She said, he folded my delicate. Yes. And the lady goes, oh, you're in so much trouble. <laughs> and, and I love that line because it, it was, it was this, you are accepting yep. because you said it was okay. Like you said, Larissa, you were accepting something that seemed so, not that the little things aren't important. Cause it's great when you have a partner who fold your clothes or, you know, takes your plate and puts it in the dishwasher or little things like that. Cause they add up to, and I'm sorry if you hear sirens in the back of my, if you hear the sirens. Yay <laughs> cities. Um, but when, um, when you have someone who does little things, cause that, that adds up to a personality of caring. And also though, when there's nothing else behind it and you've accepted folding of of delicates as sort of the height 
of yes. what you're going to get from this person. Because like you said, Liberta, she hasn't asked for anything else. Exactly. Well, and there's this other thing I was talking about when she leaves and he's looking like a sad puppy dog sitting on the steps. And he says, I'll offer you every night we'll go and have Indian food if you stay. Mm-hmm. And she says, you never asked me to. And she sees to me that was the culmination between when she ended her marriage the first time where it just kind of came out. It's like, if you can't do this for me, I can't be in this marriage. This, it's like, this is another man who has been uh, content enough to let, to live her life and to let her live his life. But when she wants to have her own life, rather than act like, you know, a crazy person like her husband did, he still is gaslighting her. Like he's acting like the injured party. He's sitting there going, well, here's some completely perfunctory thing. Like, and as if Indian food, having Indian food in New York with him is the same as going to India (laughs) itself. And like, he's a prize. And he thinks, he also thinks he's being cute. He also thinks he's being, because he's a good looking younger man. I think he thinks that he's being, um adorable and seductive and she's like staying was never on the table if you wanted me to stay to come and you know puppy dog at me as i'm trying to leave to make me feel bad when just like her husband he didn't do the work in the beginning of the relationship or in the middle of the relationship before it got to the end of the relationship to say um here are things that we both need. How can we work this out? Lynn knows that when I was 26 I had a relationship with a guy who was wrong for me and we traveled some together, usually to visit. It was almost always his people. We'd go visit his family or his friends in New Jersey. We slept on the floor like idiots in a really stupid house in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, which turned is where Jersey Shore was later filmed. So the trip that broke us was when we planned to go to Philadelphia for the weekend. And he planned everything, exactly what he wanted. And it was the minute we got there, I'd worked all day. He made me drive. He's a terrible person. Pardon me. He's probably a nice person now, but anyway, he might be listening to this. It, you know, it was terrible. Um, we <laughs> drove there all day. We were both young. We drove there all day. I took my shoes off. I was like, oh, great. We're in the hotel. And he immediately went to go because he had a whole list of things he wanted to do. And I was like, can't we just be? No, no, we have to do everything. We did all the stuff. And the next video, all the thing. And then um, my favorite parts of that vacation were the parts where we were kind of mad at each other. And he was in the room and I was in the we'd gone to a different airbnb a different bread and breakfast bed and breakfast in maniunk in philadelphia it's beautiful and it's a little like kind of funky place and it had its own little like the rooms were like separate little almost like cabin like things and then there was like a common area and i sat there for two hours and watched fleetwood max the dance and channeled Stevie Nicks being really mad at Lindsey Buckingham and like, you know, <laughs> and, and singing, you know, you'll never get away from the sound of one that loves you. I'm like, yes, Stevie, speak your truth. And we broke up that Monday because um, I was like, I can't do this. And I, Lynn and I talk about all the time about how travel is such an important thing, like she said, in a relationship to me that. I like doing a little something, a little nothing. Like say I went to this place and I saw, we drove by the sites, you know, oh, Big Ben, Parliament Kids. And then I got to do my own thing. But they're, the people that we travel with, we're about to take a trip tomorrow with people we've traveled with a lot, with old friends. I There are very few people that I travel with. And the same people I travel with, I tend to travel with frequently because that you just can't do everybody's trip. Everybody's trip is not your trip. And it, it will break you. It broke broke me up. 
which is great, honestly. Yeah. When I'm um, hearing Leslie, and I think we've probably all gone through that, but going back to my point of like, how much do we push down often as women and not speak up when things start to <sighs> not be okay? Right. Yeah. Right. And then I later, didn't. yeah, like later we might say negative things about, right? Like, oh, we're looking at James Franco and how he treated her, but like how long she allowed that to go on. And this is no judgment on her by any means, but it's that recognition that yes. we have to do our own inner work too and see what are we allowing. Hey, Lynn, yeah. what am I thinking? What movie am I thinking of right now? I don't know. Cause I was, what were you thinking? Singles. <laughs> oh, sing. Oh, okay. So I don't know if you know that movie. Um, I don't singles, think I've ever 19- heard of it. And so it's 1991 or two, maybe two, 91 or 92. It's a Cameron Crowe directed movie set in Seattle called Singles mm-hmm. with um, uh, Kira Sedgwick and Campbell Scott and Bridget Fonda and Matt Dillon and Matt Dillon and it's about singles people living in Seattle in the early nineties who were graduates of uh, most some of them were graduates of uh, UW mm-hmm. of uh, University of Washington and um, so Bridget Fonda plays this really sweet uh, young lady who is dating Matt Dillon, who is a uh, in a band um, called Citizen Dick, right? Yeah. Is that the name of the... Right. And they, they thought it was so clever. And they had... They were kind of... They were sort of gigging musicians, but they had a number one hit in Belgium for some reason. They were <laughs> beloved, in, beloved Belgium in Belgium and like no place else. Kind of like, I guess like David Hasselhoff in Germany, even yes. though other people liked him too. He was big in Germany, but they were beloved in Belgium. So anyway, she had a thing where she felt, she wanted people to just recognize and be nice to her. But yeah. when she sneezed, she liked when people said, tight." Or bless you, because that was nice. So he was this guy who never thought about her needs. It was always about him. So there's a part where they're in an elevator. And she, as a test, decides to sneeze to see what he will do. And so she sneezes and he says, hey, babe, don't get me sick. I got a gig. And you hear her monologue in her head. She's like, wait a minute. I don't have to put up with this. I can just leave him. And the elevator opens and she walks away. And he's like, what? And Leslie and I now for 30 years have used Bridget Fonda-ing as a (laughs) verb. Um, When we get to the point where we look around and we go, I I don't have to be here. And we talk about it from everything from arguments with our children when they're ridiculous. Well, not when the children are ridiculous, but when the conversation (laughs) is ridiculous. And we're like, wait a minute. Why are we having? I don't have to be here for this conversation. My therapist. Why am I having this? My therapist always says, "Why are you arguing with a nine-year-old? You're in charge." I think, and Larissa, I used that actually, that quote in a story that I wrote about the second anniversary of quitting a job that was terrible for me. And I think that when I interviewed you for the Baltimore Banner, I mentioned not the movie, but I mentioned that having happened because I was so burnt out and because it was clearly not a situation for me and that it took a while. Yes, the job was not great for me, but also I had to get to the point where I realized that I had the power to walk away from it and that I was pretty broke for a year, but I could 
you know, walk around and like actually come hang out with my child who was at that point in first grade in my living room for remote learning. And I could actually get up and go to the bathroom when I wanted to. And I could pick the things that I, that were important to me that I could write about. And I hustled in a different way. And even though it took me a year to find another full-time job and I'm so happy to have it, um, listening to those moments, like I said, I was so edified by our conversation when I interviewed you for the banner, because it was about, you know, no one can tell you that you're burnt out. It's just like saying that James Franco's character could not have said to her, not that he would have, if he'd figured out it would be bad for him, but he could not tell her that she had had too much or that it was not enough. She had to recognize that. And well, he, he actually, go ahead. Now I was going to say, he actually even says, why don't we just both be miserable? Ugh. You know, we, we're both miserable, but isn't it enough that we're together and miserable? No. And so <laughs> he was perfectly fine with, at least he recognizing that it wasn't great, but at least it was great with somebody else. And you could agree on the not greatness of it. Yeah. Were you going to say, Larissa, I see you nodding. No, I. but I think, um, you know, you're story leslie and the story about you know being in the elevator uh and and walking away and saying you know why i don't need to stay here and i think it goes back to like we need to know ourselves and know what's important for us and then be able to communicate those things to other people because i don't know the story but right she could have been dealing with that for five years with this person of never telling them hey i really would like for you to say gesundheit if you sneeze right i don't know if that's true but but oh, like yeah, looking right. at how often that happens in people's lives now where something is bothering them and they keep it in for months or years and the other person doesn't ever even know that they need to hear Gesundheit to yes. make and, them feel seen and, and heard. His character right. also was in the van. He he made it very clear to her he was dating other people, that she was not that important while still treating her like he was his girl, like she was his girlfriend. I've been in that relationship while saying you're not my girlfriend. And she cho she chose not to hear it. And her friends would go, you know, he's dating other people, right? And she's like, no, he's so great. And it'll come around and it's love, whatever. And then I, the only thing I didn't like about movies at the end, they get back together. Cause I guess he's learned some things and he kind of grovels. But I remember thinking now he has her back. How long is it till the next time? How long is it until now he is comfortable? And I, I couldn't necessarily see that. It's hard to see that when you're 22, but having mm -hmm. had that relationship, I had a relationship for a year off and on with a person who refused to acknowledge me, um, but kept showing back up, I would walk away and he would show back up. And I would go, oh, this is going to change everything. And I had a friend who would make me take him to dinner every time I got back together with that person. He would go, when you get sick of buying me food, <laughs> you will break up. Thank you, Dan Connolly. Shout out to Dan Connolly of The Athletic. Um, but yeah, it was the point where I had to do it. I had to be humiliated enough to go, wait a minute. Wait, the things my friends were telling me were true? You know, because like Viola Davis's character, like, you know, uh, Michael Malik's character, even though he didn't mean to say you're losing yourself in this person like you lose mm -hmm. yourself in people. It was just his observation. And because mm -hmm. it was true, but it wasn't going to push her until she got to the point where she needed to be pushed and she had to push herself. Yeah. And I think like just kind of tying this back into the difference in, in life coaching versus like mentoring and advising is as a as a coach an icf coach we don't tell somebody what to do and so you could be in that relationship with someone and it doesn't matter if i tell you every day like oh, leslie this is not a good relationship for you you need to leave 
it's about you discovering that for yourself so that you yep. can take that step when right. you're ready. And I think there's so much power in that. And we mean well, oftentimes trying to tell someone this is what you need to do, but they have to be ready. We've, I'll, I'm an expert in many of these things and I've still gone through those things myself, right? We all go through that at some point in our life in some sort of way. We have to figure it out on our own to really learn those lessons. Because because then you can't say that anybody else forced you to do it. Nope. Right. If, 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 if you have decided it on your own, you can't turn and blame somebody else and say, well, you told me to mm-hmm. walk away or you told me to quit this job or, you know, you have to, <clears throat> you're right, come to that realization by yourself. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes you, you, <laughs> sometimes you come to that realization, realization when you look around and you see that nobody else is supporting you in your delusion anymore. You're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be doing that thing anymore. So, so in the movie, like if we don't have to chase the whole movie, but so leaves a bad boyfriend. She goes to uh, India first, uh, Italy right? First. She Italy. Italy first, right. She goes to Italy first and eats and eats and eats and eats. And um, it's looks so lovely and gets a community. And actually the, the friend was Swedish, Leslie, Swedish, and not, American. Okay, not American. Okay. Um, and she had the cutest haircut. I had a, um, that her friend had the cutest little blonde haircut. So that was what, that was 20, was set, well, I don't know, it was probably maybe set in the, what, mid, mid 2000s, early mid 2000s. Yes. But, but I had a friend who I toured with, uh, uh, my friend September, who had that same haircut in two thousand one, I was like, "Oh, she looks like September. I love that uh, that little blonde." I haircut. had that haircut right. um, before I changed, it. and you put it you put it down with a little barrette, you know. Before oh, yes. I um, in the nineties, it was a very nineties haircut. Yeah. It was so it was sort of a um, spinoff of I don't know if you, Larissa, ever had the Holly Berry. Like a lot of us had that that pixie. Halle Berry thing. Yeah. And if you wore it like this with bangs and you put a clip in it. Yeah. (laughs) Loved it. Um, But you actually, I should find pictures of you, Leslie. We should actually, it's nothing to do with this, but I should find a picture and put it in the show notes for this show of (laughs) you and that haircut. You should totally do that. Do that. I should totally do that. (laughs) But, um, no, totally. Oh, so I see. I've distracted myself but yes she goes to italy gets its community eats a lot then she goes to india um to meditate um and winds up still you know finding a a community but also finding uh finding it very hard to meditate um she's in the room and she's thinking about the next thing and again like i said i've worked with Larissa and meditation is part of that. And it's sort of, it's so funny though, in the movie, um, Liz is judging herself for not being able to stay at that moment. Yeah. And, you know, Larissa would say, you know, very kindly, don't judge yourself, you know, kind <laughs> of come back to, you're making this time for yourself, the whole thing about her being in silence. So probably I think the first trip that I took on my own on purpose was like in 2009 around the time like it's like a year before this movie came out uh, before I got married I went to a bed and breakfast and I don't know why I decided I was going to take myself away there must I don't know if it was something that I read I don't know if I was in a bible study that suggested it I don't know but for some reason I was compelled to travel on my own to a bed and breakfast in Lancaster Pennsylvania and I got two nights 
and it was like a holiday weekend and I, I worked for a church at the time. So we got Mondays off, but I think that Monday was a national holiday. So I think we were also off that Tuesday. I think that's why it was off that day too. But anyway, I went by myself. We wound up getting snowed in. I was the only person staying there. And I felt like Belle from Beauty and the Beast <laughs> because the person who was cooking, the lady who owned it was gone for the weekend, but the person who was cooking could walk there and she was coming and making breakfast for me. And they upgraded me to a bigger room because again, I was the only person staying there. And I really felt like some cross between Belle and the little princess from the book, a little princess. And I, but it was lovely. And I, cause I felt like, well, what am I going to say to myself? What am I going to talk about myself with, do I want to talk to myself? You know, I, I do remember the watching the bachelor where I was there. I think that episode <laughs> is maybe the first ep, the first season that it was a season of the bachelor where the guy like broke up with her or came back and chose somebody else or something. It was some big bachelor scandal, but in this beautiful room surrounded by like my leftover food from the restaurant I had walked to or whatever the night before. And, um, and I'm going to look that it up. It was a, Right. But it was this beautiful moment of it is okay to be by myself and my thoughts. And I don't have to apologize for it because I felt like that whole weekend, as I was wrapping up from church, um, we would do three services and we wrap up and you go home. And I remember wrapping up and packing my car and people like, oh, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm going away by myself. But I kept feeling like I needed to justify it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I really needed or the Bible study said I should do it. Or I don't know what it was, but I kept feeling like I needed to say something. And I remember the pastor who it turned out later married us, one of the pastors we married by two people. I, he said, what are you doing? He was so sort of jazzed by the fact that I was doing this by myself. Pastor Michener, if you're listening to this, this is about you. <laughs> if you remember, he handed me $5 like out of his wallet. He goes, "If get a soda or like a snack on the road or like something, <laughs> because I think this is so awesome. But for somebody else to support me, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and that was so great. And I don't think anybody, I don't remember if anyone really was saying I shouldn't do it no i wanted you to i don't know if i guess lynn had mentioned uh her touring that you know lynn i will will speak some words of encouragement and also admiration to my sister that you know when she decided that she was not going to go to ivy league grad school to be a social worker that instead she was going to be an actor and people were very confused by that at first but in one way it culminated in lynn who people assumed that I was braver or whatever and that Lynn was just so nice and whatever. So when Lynn said, I'm going to get in a van with a bunch of actors and drive around the country in Canada and do children's plays, um, people were like, what? And at first I think there was this, I know for me, I was like, can Lynn do this? It's like, of course Lynn can do this. Lynn is. And it was through the Kennedy center. It's not like I was like. (laughs) You weren't like on the mystery machine. It wasn't the Partridge family, but. um, It was the Kennedy center. It was the Kennedy center. But the point was that you did this travel. You saw places in the country. I am never going to see. You did things that I will never do. Even though you were not by yourself, you were alone in that these weren't your family or friends. These were people that you were your coworkers and you took this trip um, to act and to learn about yourself and about the things that you liked. This was, um, so this is pre cell phone. Lynn would call me. She, and also pre when everyone had internet, 
she gave me a very big bound copy of her itinerary. And she called me one day and said, can you do me a favor? Can you tell me where I am? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because she I was know. so tired. And she woke up and it was like the middle. And it was probably four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning where she was. And like, you know, seven or eight where I was. And she was just like, I am so tired. Time has no meaning. And cats are dogs. <laughs> and I don't know. And can you help me? But so it wasn't all like, you know, walking on the beach. But she had an amazing experience that travel was so intrinsically a part of and it was such a blessing to do that so and, and I, I saw how much she always had that she was always a badass but I mean she I think grew into her badassery even more in that moment and to do that in you know late 20s early 30s you know almost 10 years before she got married she still travel we still travel like I said you know they, we don't do it as much as we want to but her son and my son both love a hotel and they love an opportunity to um, to go beyond their life. You don't have to just come home and never leave again once you get married or have kids. And I think that I know for me, having a chance to um, jump on planes and go places when I was single has informed, like I said, how I've raised my child. Um, and that's come full, full circle. I love that. Um, I don't know about y'all too, but do your kids like watching regular TV and hotels that have commercials? Yes. Because yes. my kids like don't do that here, right? They watch <laughs> Netflix either. or whatever. And it's like exciting for them it's to watch so commercials. Weird. He <laughs> and to watch ten hours of Big City Greens oh. on Disney. Because Ugh. that's like the show they play on the weekend, is that literally they'll just sit in a hotel and Christmas, um uh the five of us, so uh, me, my husband, and my son, and Leslie and her son went over the Bay Bridge. So I live in Annapolis, Maryland, and uh, Eastern Shore is 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes from my house. And we went uh, to a resort for the night. We stayed for a night, and then Leslie and Brooks, her son, stayed another night and um, had a great time. Right. But I remember that next day we watched a lot of Disney Channel. Like the adults were like talking about other things, but the kids were like, it's like this. <laughs> And he would hear, and then next, Bluey. What? It just, it was so, and I love it. And also, Bluey's a great show. Shout out to Bluey. Um, but yeah, it's the things that people would say to me, why do you like staycationing? Because you could just do that stuff at your house. And I would say, I can't do that at my house. I can't sit on a bed that someone else made. I can't go downstairs to a meal that someone else is going to make for me. And that sometimes depending on where you stay is included in the price of what I've done. I, no one expects anything of me here. No one's going to call me even if I'm at home. Cause I would be Linda's when I was in West Palm beach, we would go, you know, once a month or so and stay at the Hilton downtown and go to the pool parties. And then you could stay, we would stay and people would say, well, can you come out and do whatever? And I was like, no, I'm in the resort. Linda knows when I'm in the resort. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't leave. It's like, I don't care if I live 15 minutes down the street, I am on vacation. And so, no, mm -hmm. I can't come to your meeting. No, I can't come to your thing. No, I can't watch your kid. I don't want to do that. I am in the walls. If you want to come to me and have a drink <laughs> next to me at the pool, that's great. But I have very clear, I, I've got to stop doing that. You, you guys can't see I'm doing this weird like box <laughs> of solitude around my head. Um, it's a, with my it's hands. miming. You're miming. Yes, it's the safety You're miming dance. like, huh. It's a safety dance. Anyway. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, I know. I went way back there for that. But um, 
you know, it's just like it's just to go back to tie back into the movie before we wrap up. I think it's just so important that I it's not enough to just say you right now, whatever you're doing in your life, you can find a time to leave your life for 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever, and do that because a year yeah, or a year even <laughs> everyone doesn't have that capacity. And as Larissa mentioned, it's a privilege financially to be able to know your kids are taken care of and that you have the money and that things are going to happen and things will continue to happen without you there. But even starting with what Lynn said that she and her husband do taking an afternoon and going to a coffee shop by yourself and like listening to some music as you write in your journal or whatever, it just, once again, everyone can't do that either, but we have to find small ways to be in ourselves in a, in a environment, in an environment that is not the one that we usually spend our time in. And Larissa, how do you find if, so if someone said to you, okay, I don't have the time to travel even if away for the weekend or to go out for a coffee or or whatever but there's still a need right that you need some kind of solace and time for yourself and it's not self-indulgent and it's not selfish so what would you say to somebody who told you that I can't do this extravagant thing so I can't do anything yeah, well, I think going back to what we were talking about earlier, I don't think there's a one size fits all or that everybody mm. is going to benefit from the same things. But I right. would start with saying, you know, be honest with yourself when you are tracking the time in your day. Because very often there are little snippets of time where people, you know, I post about this often, right? You're just scrolling on social media when you could maybe be taking a minute to breathe. Yes. Or you're doing other things, you're ruminating over something that happened in your past that you can't fix when you could go for a walk or stretch at your desk. Like there are little things that we can do that can positively impact us. And so when people say, I don't have time, we start with looking at, well, where is your time being spent now? Where's your time right. being wasted now? Because we can make that shift to that we are investing our time in the things that truly matter and doing right. Not saying that you shouldn't indulge and experience pleasure and fun and all of those things, but are they aligned for you with what's important in the life you want to live and the impact that you want to make? And if not, then those are the things that need to shift. And a lot of it then is that deeper, like the, your beliefs have to shift. You have to believe that mm. you're not a bad mom or human being because you practice self-care. Right. Because just doing think, it isn't enough when you're just carrying around guilt and shame all the time. No, I think about that all the time is that we're because I got this from you, Alyssa, is is things being aligned is 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 what I'm doing right now aligned with where I'm going. It was really funny. Um, I took my son to school this morning and usually I drive up to the front and drop him off. But I had his doctor's note. Uh, from him being gone the last couple of days. So I went inside and it's rain. it was raining really badly and it was gross. And I <laughs> came back home and I sat in front of the house. Something I try not to do is sit in my car and sort of like scroll on my phone and not go in. But I had this thought is, <clears throat> is me sitting here in line with what I want to do? And part of it was like well, a little bit. Yes. Cause I don't want to get wet. And I kind of feel <laughs> like I, I need a couple of minutes to kind of prep myself. Mm -hmm. And though, because I'm being 
um, honest and intentional about that need, then I sensed when that need was gone. And if I stayed in my car anymore, then I was being self-indulgent and wasting time. And then I needed to get in the house. But, but sometimes, and actually that makes sense. Most of the, a lot of the time us taking care of ourselves is in line with us getting where we need to be because we have to do that first before we get anywhere else or do anything else so yeah i think 100 um, percent so, of the time it's an alignment yes. but it's how we're taking our care of ourselves and i think what you just shared lynn is a perfect example of social media is not bad you can choose to intentionally scroll on social media to take that time in your car before you go inside because you don't want to get wet cool and then intentionally stop when the need is no longer there versus doing it mindlessly and then Leslie, mindlessly. Exactly. <laughs> Doing it mindlessly and then feeling bad about yourself the rest of the day because you say, oh, I wasted 30 minutes on social media or five hours on social media, whatever it is. And then you waste right. so it's... much more time feeling bad about yourself. Um, the, the, um, I don't know if you've ever watched uh, Project Runway, but I think it was the first or second season there was a person who um, was upset with like their design wasn't going the way oh, they wanted girl. to do. And they were, they were like sobbing and their um, uh, counterpart, the competitor said, well, if you're going to cry, you better cry and cut that fabric at the same time. You better cry and cut. <laughs> so it's sort of like taking care of your emotional needs, but also doing the thing that you came here to do, which was, you know, make an outfit. And, cry and cut during my the first parts of my widowhood lynn knows that said that all the time it's like you know you want to there were moments where i couldn't cut you just had to cry but then you had to like i had to go back to work because the rent had to be paid and i had to like talk to my child or whatever and it was crying and cut it's like cry i remember sitting in the parking lot of my of the palm beach post where i was working at the time and whitney houston's didn't we almost have it all came on the radio and i oh, as i was pulling in and I sat in the parking lot and sobbed for three minutes because that song is so much about the things you could have had in relationships. And, mm. but, and at the end of it, I wiped my face off and I walked into the office. I was good. I needed to get that out. Also, I highly recommend finding the 1987 ver live version of Whitney doing that. Um, it was broadcast at the MTV Awards that year where she's wearing like the motor, the, you know, the aviator jacket and the scarf and her eyes ah, and she's crying. That's ah, a great. Um, and then the I best. think I watched that video as I was sitting in the car <laughs> as it wasn't enough because I needed to cry some more. But yeah, this moment where you say it's okay to have emotions. Part of the, what I've done in my grief work mm -hmm. is to say to people that healing is alongside pain. You don't heal magically because one day you stopped hurting and one day you stopped crying and one day you stopped um, missing the person and wishing your life was different. It happens in increments. I still miss my husband. Um, it's not in the same way. It's not to the same intensity. It's not, the grief is not as pronounced, but I was still getting better. That moment was, was me getting better. It didn't look that way. Probably to the people who were walking by my car mm -hmm. and going, Oh Lord, what is happening in that car? But, um, I wanted people to, I want people to understand that healing isn't an all or nothing thing. And healing is, there's always a moment, even when you feel like you've gotten to this stage where something happened, you're right back where you were, but you can get back to there. You can get back to the good places, but you're, you don't just magically one day snap a finger and not be sad anymore. 
you're, you're, I'm done yeah. grieving. I got my uh, yeah. my gold star now. I've moved on in my ticket. I moved on <laughs> to something else. Um, but yes, and just understanding that we don't have to put society's um, idea of what that journey looks like on ourselves, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, I love that you shared that, Leslie. And, you know, I often talk about being comfortable with the discomfort. And that's like the deeper healing work is being okay sitting in your cry car and crying, like being okay with how grief might be showing up for you one day, and letting go of the self judgments or the worrying about what other people think or worrying about that you're doing it wrong, or that you shouldn't have the feelings that you're feeling. And it's like that grace and self-compassion that we need to have as we're going through our journey, because we should feel all the things. There are times you should be mad about things. There are things happening in this world. Get angry about it. And what are we doing with that anger? Are things right. that happen, there's sadness. And then what are we doing with the sadness? But we have to feel it and acknowledge it instead of just pushing it down and wearing a smile and saying everything is okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for sharing that story because I think it's important for people to hear. Like we need to be able to to cry and to feel and to experience all of life. Absolutely. So to that end, if asked if you think the concept of uh, the movie Eat, Pray, Love and also getting away by yourself, Larissa, is cheesy and or self-indulgent, what would you say? I say, no, not cheesy, not self-indulgent. I think it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree. This has been, as I suspected it would be, a really fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Um, all the time, sister. Um, thank you. Uh, but thank you, Larissa, so much oh for gosh. being here and giving us your time. Um, we are going to uh, in the show notes for this, uh, in social media, post um, uh, your where you can be found. But can you tell us where people can find you? Yeah, Larissa Harrington and L A R I S A H A R R I N G T O N because everybody always uh, autocorrect tries to spell my name wrong all the time too. Yeah, <laughs> LarissaHarrington.com and on all the all the socials. Uh, there or at Strong by Nature Wellness. And I have my Strong by Nature Wellness company and then Better Execs company, which focuses on supporting organizations. Thank you. And I have to thank you. Larissa, I feel like I just scammed a free hour of coaching. So uh, (laughs) thank you uh, very much for that. Please do not bill me. Um, (laughs) I I don't want to do that. But thank you so much. This was so amazing. Um, Thank you again, sister. Uh, for for being here, and it, I'm so grateful that my child is asleep. It's a day off for him, and he has not woken up yet. So um, I assume he's up there somewhere. So I'll go find him at some point. But um, go I find just, a child. He, where could he go? The house isn't that big. Um, <laughs> thank you. I'm sitting at the front door. He's not. He's here somewhere. So anyway, thank you guys so <laughs> much for listening. Thank you for embracing the things that you love and stay cheesy. Goodbye. Thank you both so much. Bye.